Welcome to the Retirement Made Easy podcast. I'm your host, Greg Gonzalez. My goal for the podcast is to help you live a better life in retirement by giving you the tools and information you need in a language that you can understand. If you're a new listener out there, my name is Greg Gonzalez. I am a retirement planner, certified financial planner in St. Louis, Missouri, with clients in almost 20 different states. I created or started the podcast in the summer of 2020, the COVID summer, to help people get a better grip on their retirement, to help answer all the questions that people have, the common questions that people have, so people can retire with confidence. That was my hope. What I have found is there's not just one winning formula when it comes to retirement, because everybody's goals and situations are so, so unique and different. But hopefully this podcast will be a resource for you as you kind of connect the dots for your own retirement. If you do it right, you only retire one time. And think about when's the last time you did something for the first time and got it right the first time. If you're like me, I never get it right on the first try. So when it comes to planning for your retirement and your financial future, I'm of the opinion it's one of those things you can't afford to get wrong. And that's why you need to be looking for, in my opinion, resources to help you, whether it's a financial advocate like a financial advisor that you partner with or doing the homework on your own to make sure all your ducks in a row and you're making those smart decisions that can be life-changing. So that's our Retirement Made Easy podcast in a nutshell. You can visit our website, retirementmadeeasypodcast.com. That's retirementmadeeasypodcast.com. Today's episode, we're going to devote to the mailbag, all of the emails and messages and questions we've been getting from listeners over the past two months, which have been a lot. They keep going up and up and up, and I love hearing from listeners. So if you have questions that you think I can help with, go to our website, retirementmadeeasypodcast.com, and at the bottom there, you'll see Ask Greg a Question. And whatever your question is, submit it to me. I'd love to hear from you. And there are a variety of questions that we've gotten over the past couple months here, everything from required minimum distributions to downsizing and selling your house to inheritance planning to Roth conversions to Social Security to Medicare and even some tax questions, even some long-term care questions that somebody had. So we're going to cover as many of these as we can on today's episode. And it's going to be kind of rapid fire. These questions were submitted by the listeners, and I'm going to do my best to answer as many of them as I can. One last reminder, while you're on our website, you can see my pretty face and you can see our resources, which are there under the resources tab. Check out, you can download our 2021 tax planning guide, my secret sauce to retirement, our couple's guide to a dream retirement. All of those resources will be there. We're going to be uploading some more resources here in 2022, which is just around the corner. So we're even going to have a Dave Ramsey book. His newest book is going to be released on January the 11th. Many people know I'm a smart investor pro, but January 11th, his new book, first book in eight years is called Baby Steps Millionaires. So we'll do a, a book giveaway here probably in January. So check out our website, retirementmadeeasypodcast.com. And let's get into some questions this week. These questions, I did not sort them in any particular order. 
based on topic or when they were submitted or anything like that. I kind of just pulled it at random, and I think it'll be more fun that way. Today's first question was submitted from Juan. Juan writes, Greg, and I'm paraphrasing with some of these questions because I want to keep everybody engaged. Greg, you talked about long-term care policies, traditional long-term care policies on a previous episode and mentioned how the premiums for long-term care could and probably will go up over the years because the insurance company will raise them. I have owned my long-term care policy for three years, and the insurance company has not raised my premium at all since I bought it three years ago. Can you please help me understand what you were talking about? Thanks, Juan. So great question, Juan. So long-term care insurance, there is standard, like traditional long-term care, where it's kind of you're paying your monthly or semi-annual or quarterly or annual premium, however you pay the darn thing, and you get a benefit after a elimination period, so which is commonly 90 days. So let's say you need assisted living care and your policy starts paying after the 90 days that you got to wait for it to kick in, called the elimination period. Well, if you never go to use that care, all of those premiums that you paid into it there's no residual value with traditional long-term care. It's kind of like if your house never burned down, you might say, well, gosh, I paid all that premium. I paid all the homeowner's insurance, but nothing ever happened to my home. And there is no residual value. They don't give you any part of the premium back if your house doesn't burn down. You're paying for that protection in case something happens, right? In case something happens to your home, in case you need uh, long-term custodial care in the future. So again, with traditional long-term care, there's no residual value. You hope you need the care, and that's what the policy is there to pay for. But while you're going along, you're in your 60s, your 70s, and you're in great health still, you're paying a premium every year, whatever it is. And what we have found over the years is that typically insurance companies will raise your premium on traditional long-term care policies. And I can give you dozens of examples of this. And basically, the insurance company sends you a letter in the mail saying, hey, your premium is going to be X this coming year, or you can choose to keep the same premium and reduce the benefits on your current policy. They have that ability. So Juan, in your example, you have owned this policy for the first three years, and they have yet to increase your premium. That's fantastic. I would just warn you, caution you, that in the future, again, the insurance company has that right to increase your premiums. Yeah, they may never, but just in our experience of the past, they have for the people who own these traditional long-term care policies. What a lot of people do is they buy a long-term care policy combination, a hybrid policy with a life insurance policy. It's called a hybrid long-term care life insurance policy. And that way, the premiums do not increase because really you have a life insurance policy that they can't increase the premiums on. So Juan, I hope that helps. The second question comes from Bill. Bill writes, Greg, I just turned 72 this year and I have to take an RMD, required minimum distribution, by the end of the year. It's about $15,000. If I don't need the money, can I just do a Roth conversion for $15,000 so that money goes to my Roth instead of my bank account? Thanks, Bill. Bill, this is a fantastic question. I'm so glad you submitted it. Please don't make this mistake. So with an RMD, required minimum distribution, $15,000 for Bill 
if you try to do a Roth conversion, so you pay the taxes on the 15 grand, and then if you pay them out of pocket, the entire $15,000 then goes to Bill's Roth IRA where it can grow tax-free. You can do that, Bill, but you're still gonna need to take another $15,000 out of your IRA or 401k as a distribution, which will then qualify for your RMD. Roth conversions do not count towards that required minimum distribution amount. I have seen and heard many, many people make that mistake. Again, you can do the Roth conversion, it just don't count that towards your 15 grand. Great question, Bill. Let's keep going. Question number three, this is, again, we're gonna try to be rapid fire today. Comes from Linda. I'm gonna paraphrase Linda's question. Compliments the podcast. She says, basically, they are downsizing. They are selling their home. Kids are raised, and she goes into that. So they're selling their home for a profit for $800,000. They had paid $400,000 for this home. So the gain there is $400,000. She is saying that she's wanting to know how much taxes are going to be due on that $400,000 capital gain. So again, Linda says that she purchased the home for $400,000, is trying to sell it for $800,000. How much of that's going to be a capital gain? How much taxes is she going to pay? So Linda, I don't know when you bought the home. I'm going to assume you bought the home 10 years ago or more. I think it's safe to say that homes don't just double in value in in a matter of one or two years, but there are some exceptions to that rule. But let's assume Linda and her husband purchased this home 10 or more years ago for $400,000. They want to sell it today for $800,000. So with homes that you have lived in, it has been your primary residence, For two of the last five years, there is a $500,000 capital gain exemption. So meaning the first $500,000 that you sell as a gain, you are exempt from paying taxes on. If you're single, that amount is $250,000. And again, you had to have lived in the home full-time, permanently, for the past two of the last five years. This is a full-time residence. This is not a rental property or something like that, right? This isn't commercial real estate. This is for your primary home. So that's a really nice rule, tax law, that Linda and her husband, they have this $400,000 capital gain that they have tax-free. That's pretty nice. So Linda, I hope that helps. And it sounds like it's going to be a fantastic situation. And I hope my assumptions are true about how long you and your husband have lived in your home and you'll walk away with a nice gain that's tax-free. So good news for Linda there. The next question comes from another female listener named Betsy. Betsy asks, Greg, I have a question about my husband's pension. We have differing opinions on how he should claim his pension. I am afraid that his pension will default or not be there down the road, whereas my husband wants a monthly check for the rest of his life, just like his father had. I think my husband should take the lump sum because my uncle's pension went bankrupt and had financial issues, and his pension got cut big time. We also don't need the monthly income every month because we can live fine on our social security because we're debt-free. What do you say to me and my husband? What would you recommend? Well, Betsy, it seems like you've got kind of got your mind made up because it seems like you were scarred from your uncle's experience with his pension. And your husband, on the other hand, he thinks that his dad had a blessing 
with a pension for the rest of his life. So he sees the value in a monthly paycheck. But you also said that you don't need the monthly income. So that's another concern that I had. I would want to look at how well-funded is the pension. So I would want to look at some of the documentation to show me that. I would also want to know if the pension offers a partial lump sum. That might be a little middle ground, a smaller monthly annuity pension, as well as a, a partial lump sum that you could roll over to an IRA or something like that. I would also be curious, it, it sounds like you're both collecting your social security benefits at this point, but what other retirement resources do you have? Do you have a 401k Roth IRA or something like that? So if you don't have so much saved for retirement, in other words, if your retirement nest egg is really made up mostly of this lump sum pension, right? And the value of that lump sum, well, then you've got liquidity concerns and it may make more sense to either take a partial lump sum or a full lump sum. And then you've got to ask yourselves, well, how are we going to invest this money to make sure it lasts as long as you do and or even longer, hopefully? And then also that it's invested properly to suit your comfort level. And then, of course, another consideration is the tax benefits. What is your tax situation going to look like if you do take the monthly annuity pension option and your Social Security versus taking the lump sum option and rolling that over to an IRA? So you would want to look at both sides of the coin and say, okay, let's make a comparison from a tax standpoint, and that may help you decide. So I hope that helps, Betsy. If you have any questions, you know how to reach me. There's a lot of unknowns that I don't know about your situation that would really dictate some of the decision-making. But hopefully you and your husband can come to an agreement that you're both comfortable with. The next question comes from John. John says that he is planning on delaying his Social Security benefits until age 70, but he is 63, wants to retire at 65 and jump on Medicare, and wants to know What's the best way to pay for the Medicare Part B premiums if someone is not yet collecting Social Security? So for those of you that don't know, Medicare Part B premium is income-based. But for most people, if your income, I think it's $176,000 or below for a married couple. So for most people, your Medicare Part B premium is going to start at $148.50 per month. So if you're 65, you're collecting Social Security, that Medicare Part B premium comes right out of your Social Security benefit. Now, Medicare Part B is actually increasing, as I said on a previous podcast, for 2022, it's going to go from $148.50 to, I think it's $170.10 or something like that. So it's going up about 14.5% in just one year's time. So what John's asking is, okay, if I'm 65 and I'm on Medicare, I got to pay that Medicare Part B out of pocket every month because it can't come out of my social security benefit because I'm delaying that until 70. John wants to know what's the best way to pay that next year. Again, we'll call it 170 bucks a month. Well, John, in my opinion, and it sounds like you're a couple of years away from retirement, if your company has, if your employer has an HSA, health savings account, I like to see people kind of build that up prior to retirement and then use that to pay for Medicare Part B premiums, dental expenses, vision expenses, deductibles that may be a part of Medicare, co-payments and co-insurance costs that, that are part of Medicare, over-the-counter medicine. 
all that kind of stuff. So John, if I was in your shoes, hopefully your company offers an HSA health savings account and you can contribute to that. And then once you're retired, jump on Medicare at 65, you can use that HSA to pay for those Medicare Part B premiums. I'm a huge fan of HSAs, believe me. And I realize not everybody has access to them, but um, they're becoming more and more popular. So John, hopefully that helps you. And to recap Medicare, I, I know Medicare is brand new until you get close to retirement and then, okay, we become accustomed to it. But that Medicare Part B premium, that will pay for 80% of your healthcare costs. And again, it's going from $148.50 to 170 bucks a month. Now, what about the other 20%? Well, for, to fill that gap, there's Medicare supplement plans that some people choose, or they go with Medicare Advantage plans. And why you pick one or the other is to fill that 20% that difference that you're on the hook for. So that's one of the big decisions that people have once they get close to 65 is, okay, is a Medicare supplement plan better for me? Or am I better suited to go with a Medicare Advantage plan? I would kind of look at the differences and do your own research. Hopefully you can find an independent agent that can help you with that. And the last question comes from Jim, and I've gotten this question numerous times, you know, a handful of times over the past couple of weeks. And Jim asks, Greg, you mentioned you have clients in 20 different states, so I assume you work with clients from all over. Do you provide free second opinions? What does it cost to work with you? And lastly, what does someone need to become one of your clients? So the first question was, do I offer free second opinions? The answer to that is yes, I do, but I do so on a limited basis. So my goal for 2022 is to provide two second opinions to two different listeners each month in 2022, starting in January. So I'm all filled up for 2021. Thank you to all the listeners that have reached out to me. I'm truly honored. And Jim's second question was, what do you charge? Well, I charge nothing for the second opinion. I'm basically looking at, okay, everything you have as far as your resources, I'm trying to identify the gaps that may be there and then make recommendations to fill those gaps. And then whether we work together or not, that's something we'll have to decide. Jim's next question, what do I charge? Well, typically as a fiduciary advisor, we're going to charge, and I went through this in a previous episode, how advisors charge people. It's either three options. They're either commission, hourly, or advisory fee. I typically don't do the first two. I do the latter, which is an advisory fee. Typically, on average, our average client's advisory fee is about 1% per year, if I had to guess. That's kind of an industry standard nowadays. And then lastly, Jim's question was, what does someone have to have to work with you? And I'm assuming by that, Jim means like, like dollars of assets. And we don't have that criteria. What's going through my head and how I determine if I want to work with somebody is, number one, do I like you? And to kind of explain myself, I'm a small business owner, so I strictly work with nice people that I enjoy working with. And really, number two, I want to make sure that I can really provide valuable, life-changing advice to be able to help you in your retirement. And if I can't bring that valuable advice to the table, I'll tell you, and, and I'll tell you, you don't need me. 
So Jim, again, I'm not trying to toot my own horn. I was just trying to answer your question as far as second opinions and how I do those. And to the other people that had sent in messages, that's how you get a hold of me. And again, I'm going to try to do two second opinions, free second opinions per month in this next year. That That's 24 a year. I think that's a good amount that I can be proud of. In addition, I'm going to continue to do the podcast one episode a week, which is 52 episodes a year. And I'm looking forward to this next year. So for the rest of the episodes for 2021, we're going to continue to do questions. So continue to send in your questions to retirementmadeeasypodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you. And I appreciate all the listeners. Thank you for sending in your questions so far. I'll see you next time for another episode of the Retirement Made Easy podcast. And remember, always dream big. The opinions voiced in this material are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, please consult your attorney, tax advisor, or financial advisor prior to investing. This is a hypothetical example and is not representative of any specific investment. Your results may vary. All performance referenced is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All indices mentioned are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. The SmartVestor program is a directory of investment professionals. Neither Dave Ramsey nor SmartVestor are affiliates of St. Louis Retirement Advisors or LPL Financial. There is no guarantee that a diversified portfolio will enhance overall returns or outperform a non-diversified portfolio. Diversification does not protect against market risk. All investing involves risk, including loss of principal. No strategy assures success or protects against loss. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, Memra FINRA, SIPC. 